Since 1991, Chicago-based organization CARA has been helping people experiencing poverty and homelessness move towards self-sufficiency by assisting them in finding jobs and opportunities. Thanks to CARA and its two social enterprises, over 10,000 jobs and a whole lot more have been made possible for those who need it most. Having just celebrated its 30th anniversary, CARA and its immense impact is the focus of today's podcast with our special guest, President and CEO, Maria Kim. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. On today's podcast, we speak with Maria Kim of CARA, an organization that I profiled extensively in my book In the Business of Change, due to the tremendous work they do on the ground in Chicago. In our conversation, Maria highlights the challenges that CARA and its social enterprises have endured over the years, even more so during this year's pandemic, and how their unique approach has helped them rise above. About to retire from the organization, Maria discusses the moments at CARA over her 15-year tenure that make her most proud, and then shares the lessons she's learned along the way. I'm very, very excited to have you on my podcast. You were featured prominently in a book I wrote a few years ago, and parts of that book certainly would not have been possible without your generous offer to show me around the wonderful social um, enterprises in, in Chicago and, and, and just the environment of social enterprise, um, which is so strong in the city. You are leaving Kara and heading off somewhere else. Um, so I thought this would be, and so many for so many reasons, uh, perfectly opportune time to to get you on. So thank you so much for joining me here. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Super excited to chat. First of all, how long have you been to, at CARA and when did you even get there? Sure. I've been there for 15 years. So started in 2005 as kind of the development director, the person trying to raise some institutional giving for the organization and have been the CEO for the last seven years. So for those who may not know, Um, may not have heard. I don't know how they wouldn't have, but um, (laughs) if they don't, why don't you give us a sense of Kara and its mission and and, and the stuff that, the wonderful stuff that you guys do? Absolutely. So Kara, actually this year is our 30th birthday. Amazing. So we've been around for a minute. Thank you so much. (laughs) So grateful to have uh, good birthday wishes. And so Kara founded 30 years ago is all about um, helping people experiencing homelessness and poverty to get back to work. And in so doing, helping employers to become more inclusive in the process. Um, so we've been around for 30 years, as I, as I mentioned, and basically the easiest way to think about us is we're both boot camps. So training platforms, places for people to learn and build skills, and businesses, vibrant social enterprises that kind of test those skills we learn in the classroom in a more traditional transitional job to ready people for more gainful employment downstream. Okay. And I remember when I was there, I got to see some of those at work. We went to, um, there were some people that were working to beautify the streets of Chicago as part of the, their social entrepreneurial experience. Do you want to maybe give, um, explain some of those types of social enterprises that are going on? How many are there right now currently? Right now we have two. Um, One is called Clean Slate. The one that you're thinking about is called Clean Slate and it's an exterior maintenance business, which is a fancy way of saying 
we sweep the sidewalks, we do light landscaping, graffiti removal, we work the festival circuit, you know, we do snow removal in the winter, which in Chicago can be quite a beast, all in the form of transitional employment, again, to ready people for more permanent employment downstream. And then we have also Kara Connects, which is a staffing company, which gives us a portal into lots of other verticals, right, of types of occupations that people can try on for a minute as well. Cool. And during this pandemic, lovely pandemic year, it's been so, so difficult. And I say lovely, obviously, facetiously, it's been hard on everyone. Um, how is the, how is Kara holding up and how, how about the social enterprises? How were you able to fare throughout? So up to your point, it has been a, a very challenging year, a challenging year for multiple reasons, not just the health crisis that we find ourselves in, but, but the, but the, frankly, the, the, the reckoning that this country is going through, uh, reckoning with racial injustice, um, one that obviously reached a, another inflection point yesterday when we heard the final verdict of the, of the Chauvin trial. Yeah. And so those two pandemics operating concurrently have been difficult on not just our organization, but on our communities that we serve most especially. So it has been a rough year for, for all of those reasons. I will say the social enterprises and the larger organization haven't skipped a beat though. The social enterprises were open you know, during this whole time. Um, while others may have sheltered in place, we sheltered in community. We were doing the work this, this whole time and, and the programs for our overall services, the training, placement, retention, coaching, all of those programs were still alive too through digital platforms as well. Okay, that's right. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of other organizations were not that fortunate. They, they had to shut down and had much more wouldn't you say? I mean, that's. Do you know what it would account for the fact that you were able to um, still keep going? I think it's a kind of ingenuity of staff in terms of how to flip approaches to the work, understanding that coaching can happen in so many different ways, right? right? Training can happen in so many different ways. We were just schooled in a certain formula. And so ingenuity of people to actually translate that to new and virtual and digital forms is one. And the second piece is like the, the gift that you have from financial sustainability. So the fact that we did have a strong foundation underfoot helped us to endure some of the shocks of the last year and still keep the programs persistent and pivoting and, and staying alive. That's really impressive um, and great. And I'm sure everyone's delighted that you were able to, to do that despite it all, uh, keep going and keep at it. Um, so not pandemic related, but just overall, when you look back at the, at the years that you've been at CARA, how would you sort of describe the evolution of CARA? I mean, that's a big question. I know it's been a 30 year evolution, but even from the period that you've been there. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, this is an organization, so maybe for context, I might lead with the fact that the word Kara is actually an old Irish word that means friend. So our founder was a very acutely present to the idea that it's not just about kind of the skills needed to get a job. It's also about the safety that you're afforded when you have a deep bench of friends in your corner. Because what ends up happening is you can endure the shocks of life along the way because you've got people who have your back, who are there to protect you, help you, coach you, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to be that solution for people that, that might need it um, you know, in, in these different times in, in their lives. So with that as context, when we first started, you know, we've gone through lots of permutations. 
he was an entrepreneur and a philanthropist. So his inclination was definitely a bias to action. He would, he would help people who he met um, either in the homeless shelter system or in other, in other different referral sources. He would help them to connect to employment straight away. People would go from zero to placement straight away. And those placements on balance did not tend to stick. And part of the reason why was not necessarily because people lacked the skills, but that kind of the external cushions that you need in order to really persist gainfully in employment, they weren't there, you know, yes. be it housing variability, be it, uh, you know, other, other contexts that could support you in that time. So we realized we really needed to reverse engineer all the other stuff, you know, so that was our first big thing It's like, wait, it's not just about the job skills. It's also about it's also about these other skills, these, these skills that are more about helping you to understand how to build your esteem. If you've been knocked off your square so many times, like how do you kind of find the deepest truth of who you are? How do you awaken to that? How do you understand that you're amazing? Even if life has thrown you all kinds of curveballs that make you feel less so. Right. Then we realize, oh, we need to have, you know, uh, people to, to be supporting our participants for long-term employment. So it's not just about getting a job, it's about keeping it over the long-term. How can we build savings? How can we transition to more permanent housing? How can we think about ways to advance in our career? So that was another big pivot. And the other ones would be responses to externalities. So like, even as CARA itself is growing, this itty bitty mission that's growing bigger and bigger and bigger over time, the world is still changing, mm -hmm. right? And so back in 2005, this was a time when the the country i think was experiencing that first inflection point when the impacts of the war on drugs became became more acutely known meaning people were coming out of the prison system after decades of being incarcerated you know through the war on drugs and when that happened people were coming out of the prison system in droves to communities that have already experienced historic disinvestment and would find themselves without opportunity to get employed and we're like, hey, I did what I was supposed to do. I'm coming back to my community. I can't find an above ground job. So I'm, I might end up going back underground and creating a cycle of recidivism that's just like, what? You know? Right. And so in that time, we said, well, what can we do about it? And we, we sought to disrupt that by creating employment ourselves for that population that experienced justice involvement, ergo clean slate. We started clean slate in 2005. And the next big permutation would be when the Great Recession happened mm -hmm. and all employers were kind of hunkered down, right? They were like, you know, hell, if I'm going to take any more risks right now, I'm just going to move to contract staffing. Forget about direct hire. I'm just moving to contract staffing because I don't know when the next economic shoe is going to drop. And when that happened, we said, okay, well, if we can't beat them, join them. And so we started our own staffing company, Kara Connects. So it just gives you a sense of the different kind of permutations that might happen along the way. And, and each one of them um, really helped you tackle those, those daily or long-term challenges, which is amazing. And that was sort of going to bring me to my next question, but maybe you've already addressed it, which is what were the biggest challenges, which is a tough question. Would you sum up those as the largest challenges and how you've evolved in, or, in a way to tackle them more appropriately? I mean, I think, I think largely, yes, there were so many um, lessons learned along the rise and fall of our, of our different social enterprises. We've started four, we have two, just to give you a sense of yeah. not all are a silver bullet and not all will succeed. And I want to be super frank about, about that and the, and the tensions uh, therein. And also, I think the, the larger challenge or complexity is that the world doesn't keep up to the awesomeness, <laughs> meaning 
we are slowly starting to realize, and I think um, this last year most especially has shined a light on this, is that, you know, back in the day, I used to say people find their way to Kara by way of misfortune or misstep. It was basically shorthand to be able to say like, they've had a rough go because of generational poverty, episodic homelessness, something happened that's the kind of threw their whole housing situation into instability, misfortune. Mm-hmm or misstep, maybe they did something that got them then entangled in the justice involvement uh, process and, and that created a life cycle of, 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 of unemployment. The challenge with that binary is it's a binary, number one, and number two, that it both suggests that either is a miss. And what I didn't do properly, and, and, I, and I want to course correct for that for the rest of my career, is to say underlying both of those things is injustice. And that we don't recognize that the reason why people find their way into poverty is because life set them up for that from jump. Because people started at various starting blocks, not because of what they intrinsically had, but because of the of kind of systemic structures that perseverate basically race, racism in our country. And, and so that injustice um, is perhaps the biggest challenge of all, mm. because what ends up happening as a result of that is that employer paradigms of what makes for good, quote, talent in my firm uh, isn't directly correlated to the actual talent that is inside of people. And that's the kind of like myth busting and challenge overcoming that I think the work is really about over the long term. So that's still ongoing. No doubt about it. We no are doubt about it. We are very early in that process for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so struggles and challenges ahead for sure. Um, but what about the what about the accomplishments and the achievements? If we look for that and that over the years that you're most proud of, what would you say about that? And with all that in mind, you know, I, I'm having a bit of like a recency bias um, here. So my most recent conversation this afternoon was with an alum and um, his name is Marquise. And here, here's this really cool young man, relatively newish dad um, that wants to write a book. Mm-hmm. And, and his book, he sees the book, he sees it in his head right now. And it's called, I think it's called um, From Pain to Passion. You know, and, and it, for him, it's kind of a guidebook. And I was like, Marquise, what do you mean by a, a guidebook? He's like, there are so many things that I want people to understand about, um, about young men that were like me when I came up. And in his own journey, he had made pretty intentional choices on, on um, how to stay away from gangs and how to uh, pursue you know, a, a life different than the life that he inherited. And he has a 10 step kind of guidebook of, of what he wants his younger version of himself to know and to read and to learn. Um, and so I, I, I sit on that to say, you know, Marquise is, is a symbol of our proudest accomplishments as an organization because the premise of Kara is not about teaching people to get back to work. It's about unlocking the talent that already exists inside of them. It's about making sure that employers understand that they're missing out mm-hmm. on this amazing cadre of talent if only they widen their aperture to actually see you know, where, where that talent exists. And so if I think about the future of the organization, our vision is to fuel a courageous national movement to eradicate relational and financial poverty. And I think that we, 
we have a chance to be able to fuel that movement if we remain true to centering our programs, our thoughts, our strategies on what Marquise and what others like Marquise believe to be the most effective. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I think I'd be the most proud of. That's wonderful. Um, and there are many like Marquise. Uh, no doubt. Yeah, and I spoke to a few of them. If you would look at having, you know, looking back at those challenges, looking back at the things that make you most proud. And if someone came to you and said, um, you know, I want to do something like you're doing. I want to be a part of a social enterprise. I want to, you know, change lives. I want to make a difference. Some lessons learned that you would impart on others who are thinking of doing the same or wanting to be involved in some way. What would you say to them? I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of thinking around social enterprise of like, it's the silver bullet. Right. Because it's a business and it can generate revenue and OMG, but it's also a business and right. it can, you know, and so I just, I want to make sure maybe lesson number one is social enterprise is not a silver bullet. Right. It is complex. I would call it a self-sabotaging business. And, and I think you and I may have had this conversation years ago, but effectively what I mean by that is that it's, it's, it's designed to have high churn of talent. Yeah. I don't want my, the people that are, that are working in our social enterprises to stay there in perpetuity. That's not the point. The point is that they're there as a way station to build skills, build their resume, and then get their next amazing thing. And as a result, turnover can sometimes be north of 400%. Well, yeah. no one in their right mind would ever want to do that, except <laughs> for if your other North Star is to help people experiencing poverty, you know, get back to sustainable employment. Uh, if that's your North Star, then of course you're going to want to make sure that people can get to the job that is their long-term career. Mm -hmm. So I think that that would be my first lesson um, for all people that are kind of flirting with the notion of, of social enterprise. Because mm -hmm. I hear a lot of people come to me with that sort of, you know, I, I pie in the sky type of uh, terminology and thinking. And it's beautiful, but you also don't want someone to come and say, okay, this is going to be the answer to everything. I want to start it up and we're going to, and then this, you know, it sets you up for some disappointment and, and, you know, expectations that you may not be able to achieve without having a certain um, understanding of what you're getting into. And, and it's also not for everyone and in social enterprise is not the answer to everything. So I think that realistic outlook is so important. Um, anyway, so I'm with you on that for sure. Anything else that you would say that you would wish other people would, would learn from your experience? For sure. I mean, kind of tied to what you just said, you know, social enterprises are effectively small businesses at their yeah. core, right? And so they, and they lack in many cases, the economies of scale that our other private sector counterparts might, might experience. So the other lesson that I think um, we've absorbed over, over these last 15 years, especially is hey, maybe, maybe the first step is to go from zero to test, not zero to business, right. meaning create kind of an insulated way in which you can test the premise of your prospective social enterprise um, that protects your cash, protects your people, all the things, but has certain guardrails, you know, that you need to be looking for. Like, oh, let's, let's test out our idea, see if we reach these gates, these, these expectations of either revenue, job creation, whatnot. And if we don't, then we've, created it in a bit of a self-contained universe that we can close it without much fanfare as opposed to zero and all the infrastructure related to standing up a business only to have that sunset. Well, why don't we start with the baby baby step of a test first uh, before we make that larger scale investment might be my second, yeah. my second big lesson. 
Good one. I like that one too. Um, so I just, I wanted to just leave it off by, by wishing you the best of luck moving forward. And just to get a sense of, you know, a couple of words of where you're going now. So, I mean, it's bittersweet to, to leave a mission that is so close to my heart. I, I would tell my friends, you know, this is a place where I found my own voice too. It's not just about helping people find theirs, but it was also a place for, where I could find mine. Um, so it is, it's bittersweet. And the, but the thing that would be the draw is an organization where I can start to see how do we take the lessons learned over these, over these last several years and figure out how we can help to inform a field and affect a field in the process. And so that's, that's the destination. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to be starting as president of Red F in mid-June. And Red F, for, for people that don't know, is, is a, a self-described venture philanthropy, but translation venture capital for emerging social enterprises around the country. Um, super exciting to be in the field level space to, to be able to say like, hey, how do we help tens of thousands of Americans get back to work through, through this very innovative vehicle? And how do we influence policy and agitate private industry and stimulate lots of cool conversations and big thinking around getting more Americans back to work? I'm, I'm fired up about it and excited to be joining their team. That's great. And I'm sure I will um, stay in touch because Rediff is a is another organization that is always on my radar and I think they do wonderful work. So it's very exciting. And congratulations again on all the work you've done um, and on the 30th anniversary and all the, the positive stuff coming out right now. It's especially nice to hear during a, a difficult year. So um, good luck and thank you. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.